What's going on, everybody? This is Sean of Ross Like Music. And this is the Super Sunny Show. I'm La Molly. This is Blue and Green Radio. Hello and welcome along to this month's edition of the Music for Modern Living Radio Show right here on Blue and Green Radio. You're locked in with me, Nigel Gentry. Party people, this is Mr. V of Confessions of a Curly Mind broadcasting through Blue and Green Radio. You're listening to Steve Williams at UK5.org. Welcome to the Blue and Green Sessions. Ride the vibe with DJ Ronnie Ron. Twisted Souls. You're listening to the Blue and Green podcast, and I hope you enjoy what we are going to say. Blueandgreenradio.com. Welcome, friends. You're tuned in to another episode of the Blue in Green podcast. My name's Imran. Thank you very much for your time and your company for the show today. Before we get stuck in, a quick reminder, as always, that the Blue in Green podcast runs in conjunction with Blue in Green Radio, the online internet radio station uh, that broadcasts from London and is so fortunate uh, to be able to host shows from around the world, uh, including Japan, uh, Denver, Colorado, San Jose, California, Niigata, Japan to be specific we have Melbourne Australia we have London the UK Bournemouth in the UK Sully Hall in the UK and uh, we're incredibly proud of our content and would urge you to uh, to visit us online at www.blueingreenradio.com um, as we said, this podcast runs in conjunction with that, and we have uh, episodes that we release for this on the first, second, and third Mondays of every month. So, so proud of the, what we've managed to build with these episodes, and uh, an episode like today's is exemplary of it. So, um, we're talking to Joe Pignato, drummer and founder of the New York based jazz collective Bright Dog Red. At the time of this recording, the collective are gearing up for the release of their third album available through Rope Dope Records. Uh, the third album in three years, which, as I mentioned in the discussion, is an incredible achievement. It's such a wonderful, uh, staggering statistic. So um, to have three albums as well available through Rope Dope Records is so exciting. Uh, we're really fortunate. This is the second time we've featured uh, Joe on uh, one of these blue and green podcasts we featured joe as far back as episode 13 uh which is really exciting to kind of be able to um, secure his time again for episode 64 um, means to the ends by bright dog red initially released in 2018 it was followed by house by you in 2019 and uh, mere weeks away um, is the release of their third album called something comes along and uh, it's a stunning record. It's a double disc rack record, which is, again, it's mind blowing how incredibly uh, productive and committed that uh, the team are to putting out this just their wonderful music. So it's it's really really exciting, and it's always a pleasure to be able to spend time with Joe uh, to discuss um, their processes and uh, bright all things Bright Dog Red. So uh, the album is officially released uh, September twenty fifth, twenty twenty. You can purchase copies of all of their projects via their Bandcamp page, uh, brightdogred.bandcamp.com. And I uh, very much hope you enjoyed the episode today. Regular listeners of the of this podcast will know we feature two songs per episode. The closing number is chosen by our guest, in this case, Joe. I have the pleasure of picking the opening number, and I couldn't be happier to pick something from said album. Um, and I'm going to go with the project's lead single, um, 
And actually, it's this lead single, it's the title track, and it is absolutely my favourite song from the album. It is Something Comes Along. Uh, it's just an absolute joy, and as I say in our conversation, boom, it hits you straight away, and it's just brilliant. It's a blissful song. Uh, wonderful album, one of the most creative um, uh, people uh, and collectives that I've, I've ever come across there, uh, having the, the luxury of being able to host these podcasts and... Uh, uh, create shows for Blue and Green Radio, so um, their continual success uh, is is just is incredibly inspirational for me. So uh, shout out to those incredibly talented musicians. Uh, shout out to Joe as well for appearing um, on this episode, and I very much hope we'll be able to showcase him again uh, on their next project. So thank you very much for tuning in, gang. Please once again visit us at www.blueingreenradio.com, and I uh, really hope you guys enjoy today's episode.
Thank you. How about yourself? I'm I'm very well, thank you. Me me saying how are you is kind of um, takes on a whole new meaning with uh, events over the last six months. How has your 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 world been? How's your quarantine life been over the last five or six months? Oh wow, it's been such a you know a, you know massive change. Um, I, I don't want to complain because I'm employed, and so many people have yes. lost their jobs. So to be employed is something I'm grateful for. Um, the particular uh, campus that I teach on with, uh, teach uh, on within the university system uh, is the site of the worst outbreak. Oh, <laughs> so in March, we went all online about mid-March, and, and that was fine. The students were willing to do it, and faculty did it. We got through to the end of the semester. Uh, this fall, they brought all of the students back to campus and um, there were some limited in-person instruction, uh, what they were referring to as applied learning. So that included things like labs, um, but also in music, things like production equipment and, and uh, some ensembles, some private instruction uh, for students on instruments. That could happen face-to-face. But within two weeks of having students back, our campus went from uh, you know, 10 or 20 students testing positive to 50 to very quickly today, it's at almost 600. Oh my and, gosh. Yeah. And um, that's, that's 10% of the total student population and 20% of the on-campus population. So this weekend, although it's a holiday weekend, they actually sent all the students home and um, they all are moving out and it's, it's quite a bit of upheaval for them. I, my, my heart breaks for the students because you know, your university years are such an important part of your growth and to have them mm. disrupted uh, like this is really something. But, but fortunately, I'm, I'm healthy, my wife's healthy, um, and uh, we're employed for now, <laughs> so we're not, not complaining. We have some members uh, in BDR for whom, you know, uh, playing gigs is, is their only source of income or, or their primary source of income. You know, maybe mm. they do some supplemental teaching and some supplemental work, but it's really been devastating for those regularly gigging musicians. Yeah. What is the, the sort of the live 
situation music wise over in new york at the moment i know uh, i spoke to someone uh, about a month ago in denver colorado and they were allowing uh, small venues to to open and they the musicians had to wear masks but trumpeters were not allowed to perform mm-hmm. because of the potential you know yeah. you, you're ex- exhaling on people that's the theory anyway but what is the new york scene at the moment well- well, you might recall, uh, Imran, that New York had the worst outbreak in the states mm. to start. It was the it was the epicenter of the um, the U.S. Uh, catastrophe very early on. Um, at Seattle, Washington was the first city. Uh, then a little bit in California, but then it started in New York, and it was terrible. And actually, Bright Dog Red had a gig March thirteenth at New Blue, a place we play pretty regularly on the Lower East Side of Manhattan. And um, up until the 12th, we, we thought we were going to do the gig. Um, but, you know, just slowly the news started coming in that the Board of Health said, well, it's fine, just as long as there aren't 500 people there. And we're like, oh, no, definitely not. You know, oh, it's fine as long as there aren't 50 people there. Like the numbers <laughs> got smaller very quickly. <laughs> so within a 24, 48-hour period based on, uh, you know, word from the venue, word from the Board of Health, and then the governor of the state of New York, uh, Andrew Cuomo, making the announcement that pretty much everything was shutting down. I mean, he announced that the state university system that I teach in was shutting down before I think even, you know, the presidents of the various campuses knew. <laughs> so it was immediate. So we, we canceled that gig to be, uh, you know, cautious. And we have not had a gig or booking since, and there are no gigs or bookings really allowed. There's some limited outdoor mm-hmm. bookings. Um, you can do socially distanced live streams, uh, but they don't want audiences gathering indoors at all. Um, and you know, one of the consequences of that that's, that's good is a public health consequence. The state of New York has, the, if not the lowest rate of infection, uh, it's at the very bottom in, in the U.S. right now. And, and the, mayor, the governor yeah. wants to keep it that way. So uh, the restrictions are quite um, uh, stringent. But uh, the benefit is, you know, we have very few people uh, hospitalized or dying at this point, whereas we had, yeah. you know, 32,000 plus people lost their lives in New York State. Now, it's a huge state. It's the size of some countries, right? So, um the the total loss of life is remarkable for sure, uh, but also it's part of a much larger population. Uh, but what's happened is, you know, in the U.S., unfortunately, the pandemic has been um, complicated by a politicization of the uh, basic fundamental science and principles of germ theory and how viruses spread and uh, and that's been for me the most disappointing thing to see. We we do not have the best. Uh, leadership at this time. Uh, we don't have the best leadership for a lot of things. <laughs> we, we don't have the best leadership, certainly for a national crisis at all. Well, yes, I, uh, I, well, I understand. It's a, it, it is a popular assessment, unfortunately. Yeah. It, it's, it's making the next few months, I guess, quite difficult as well because it's having a, a, a political campaign try to be mobilized in this, in this context, in this environment is going to be particularly difficult as well, isn't it? Indeed. With everything that went on over the last few months, uh, there were glimmers of of joy and bliss, uh, like the release of your fantastic new project, which is, uh, it is an absolute joy. It is a double disc, something comes along, your third album in three years, which is it's not something a lot of people get to boast. That's incredible, isn't it? It's really gratifying yeah. to have it out there. 
yeah, I, I, I can, I can't imagine how, how, well, it's an incredible statistic. It, it really is. I mean, were there, how far in the year, how sort of, at what point in the year were you sort of having plans in motion to release the album at this point? Was it delayed at any point due to the events over the last few months or was it sped up as a result or anything like that? Did it have any impact or on the release date? So it, it impacted the making of the album, but it did not impact the release date. When, when the first album came out with Rope-A-Dope, uh, it was released in the fall, um, as you might recall from some of our previous conversations. Yeah. I've worked in the recording industry when I was younger. And so, you know, fall releases are, it's a time of year where I like to be involved with that cycle of releasing an album. And so I, uh, you know, when the first one came out in October of 2018, I, I started thinking about October of 2019 or thereabouts as the next sort of release date. Um, but I didn't want to have an arbitrary date just for the sake of making it. It was more, uh, you know, if if the music should come in, in the regular sessions that the group holds at our studio here in my house, um, then, then let's see if we can make it for the fall. And so it, it worked for the second album. Um, and then with two albums out, uh, I knew that we wanted to do a third album, and uh, certainly the support of Rope Dope was, you know, really fantastic. And in in discussing doing a third album, it was because we had had some sessions to prepare for gigs. Uh, we recorded those sessions, and you know, they sounded good. There was promise there, and it was just a couple few tracks, um, but there was promise there, and so. Um, you know, Ropadope just said, well, let's, let's, you know, let's get it into the calendar. So I said, well, all right, let's, let's shoot for fall of 2020. And that's really kind of how it happened. And so, you know, the dates came after the fact, but that kind of nice sort of regularly scheduled release around the same time each year has been uh, a kind of happy accident of the way we work as a band. So um, probably let's say late, um, those initial sessions happened in the summer of 2019, preparing for right. gigs uh, that were to promote the release of House by You. And the band was changing significantly because, um, you know, it's a collective and people come and go as uh, their you know lives change or they move or uh, they have different work situations. And so the, the configuration of the group you hear on the album was just sort of forming then. And um, to get all those seven musicians together, you know, I had to think a little bit ahead of time. So sometime around July of 2019, we started planning for some November, December type sessions. And that's when those sessions happened. And uh, the, the bulk of the recording was done in November and December of 2019. But some of those things done in the summer of 2019, July, are on the album. Um, and uh, so it's from those three sessions. And the three sessions produced about three hours worth of music. I would say a bulk of that three hours came from the November and December sessions. And the decision for it to be a, a double disc. I mean, like I said, it was three albums in three years. I can only assume you've made this one a double disc to give yourself a break next year. <laughs> well, I wish I could say that but we're actually uh, talking about album four. Wow. Um, That's incredible. I'll, I'll tell you COVID has impacted album four. I'll explain that in a moment, but album three, um, the, the decision to make it a double album was because after the November session, uh, there was a greater yield of usable material than I could have wildly hoped for. Uh, and the reason I was um, 
so pleased is that, you know, the configuration of the band was such that I didn't have everyone together for every session. And so that always complicates things. So you have a mm -hmm. core group of, of the seven, maybe you have five together, uh, two aren't present. Then you have to figure out, well, how do we add them and maintain that sense of live energy that, uh, you know, um, we were trying to sort of stay true to and that some have recognized now music making. And that, that's always the challenge with this band is you're recording something that is at its purest when it's live. Uh, and you want to maintain that, but you also need to create something that works in the context of a recording. Uh, you know, consumers have an expectation of, of tracks and things like that. So, um, you know, if we put out a, you know, a 65 minute complete <laughs> improvisation with all the transitions, uh, certainly we could do that. But um, uh, getting from that to the kind of tracked uh, albums that we've put out takes a lot kind of thinking through and, and that's really where the bulk of my production and, and then engineering work comes in is like thinking about how do I edit edit those sessions down to those tracks. So when I was working on the November sessions, because there was so much that was usable, I was like, well, we could save it for another album, but who knows how much the band will change. <laughs> I yeah, want this group yeah. documented, this version of the group. And and you know from being such a supporter, the albums have a core group of people that are on every one of them. Mm -hmm. But as mm -hmm. always, there's some new addition, like the additions of Matt Coonan and Eric Person on this album, uh, and also Tyreek um, Jackson on bass. You know, they they've contributed so much to this group. Um, so, I you know, I was like, okay, we have enough here for an album and a, and a half. <laughs> We can't put out, an, maybe we could do an album and an EP. Like I was thinking through the configurations, but then I just, I ran it by Ropadope. I was like, you know, what, what about a double album? And they, they love the idea. So Lewis was so supportive. Lewis uh, Marks, the CEO of Ropadope, mm. was so supportive of the idea of a double album that it told me it was a good idea. In other words, if the reaction from Lewis, with whom we have such a great rapport, if it were, you know, I don't know, maybe we should, well, let's talk about that or... I might have said, okay, let's hold off and let's just make a really good album. Right. Um, and we all agreed that the decision should be contingent upon what came out of the December session. Maybe the December session would be a bust. And then you take the best of the November session, maybe some of that July session. Uh, but the November session was, was phenomenally productive as well. And so then I knew I, I had enough for two and a half albums. And it was just right. a matter of figuring out what, you know, what's going to stay uh, private never get released and what's going to get edited and created to the tracks that you heard on the album. There's 20 tracks. So it was quite an undertaking. And I think in terms of that year release cycle, that was probably the biggest challenge um, was that there was so much more to, for me to work and sift through and edit. Uh, and then of course, COVID complicated things um, by making it so that with the material we had, uh, when when somebody misses a session, they'll come in after the fact. They'll come up to my place. They'll we'll go into the studio, and they'll add their tracks live. You know, I set them up. I hit play. They hear in the playback what the other musicians did, and they lay down their tracks uh, in the studio. And uh, they they couldn't do that. <laughs> None of us was comfortable to travel at that point. Oh no! <laughs> um, you know, even the social distancing and the mask protocols weren't fully in place. So, um, you know, quite a bit of February before COVID because of bad weather. New York State has pretty rough winters. And then 
all through March, uh, it was me sending things to people and uh, getting tracks and um, even having some people record uh, <laughs> uh, Matt, the MC and poet, actually had to record a couple verses on his iPhone because the studio he was working at locally, like where he lives, he'd go into a studio to add his tracks and then send them to me. Um, that studio was closed because of COVID. He couldn't go there. So, you know, there was one section. He's like, oh, I'd really like to put a second verse here. I'm like, all right, let's, let's just try it. And I gave him some guidelines for how to set it up in his home and, you know, listen to playback spit his rhymes, send them to me, and we'll see if we can make it work. And it, we were able to do it. It took, uh, this album took more post-production work. What you're hearing is what we played. There's not a lot of change there, uh, but the post-production work was in getting three sessions to sound unified, um, thinking about the sequencing of all that, and, um, and, and then just coordinating so many tracks from seven different musicians. So the idea that, I mean, obviously you've just mentioned about having to piece together so much, uh, so many different elements, but this, this is the most produced album in as much as there's a lot of almost forethought and afterthought that's gone into, into it. Because I, I remember obviously the idea of Bright Dog Raid was its improvisational approach. And I, I distinctly remember, I think the last time we spoke, you uh, cited, I think it was Cruising. Uh, from the means to the ends album and I think it was Cully who's the, the one of the rappers for the song uh, was unable to make the session and then you had said okay well now we'll do this again but to, for it to be fair you get sort of like one take you like you have to do this in that moment does, does, does that anecdote ring any bells? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and, absolutely. Right, and and it was sort of, he. I think he picked up on the same cruising vibe uh, as well, and he kind of had that as a part of his lyrics, which were already in place, which was one of those serendipitous uh, kind of moments. But I guess for for this album, there's more. Take your time and get it right. Approach uh, well, is that right? Say, or... Let me just say, I really appreciate your support, and I really appreciate that you remember that uh, <laughs> bit of trivia about the first album because it was an amazing moment. Um, yes, I remember. Yeah, so the, the, this with this album, it was a little different for every every person who had to add tracks. So, um, I'll give you an example. So, for Matt, the poet, his tracks are a combination of completely freestyled, off the top of his head lyrics. Now, he is a quite an accomplished poet. He's uh, you know been involved with slam poetry, and he's a published poet. He has a master's degree in creative writing. Um, so. You know, Matt, Matt's freestyling, could it could include stuff that comes to him that he's written in the past, but he pieces it together on the fly with other things. Sometimes it's completely freestyled, and I'm just blown away at how, how skilled he is in that. Um, Matt's also, uh, what's unique about him as an MC is his ability to pick his spots. So um, a lot of where he comes in and drops rhymes or does spoken word or freestyles, you know, that, that was his call. So uh, it, it either happened in the moment or it, I would send him something and say, Hey, give this a listen. Let me know what you think. And he'd be, and he would say, well, I came up with eight bars and I'd be like, wow, really eight bars. It's 11 minutes. That's all you have. And then I listen, I'd be like, that's the only eight bars where there should be poetry. And it's amazing. <laughs> like he's just really good. So, so with Matt, it's a combination of completely freestyled, uh, and then much more thought out. And um, uh, I don't know if you saw it. I can certainly send it to you. But the, even the lyrics, 
for the the album, we have a, a lyrics a sheet that we've sent to some of uh, the people in the press. It's it's not just a list of, of the the words. It's like actual published poetry. It's got typesetting and creative sort of uh, approach to the way the text appears. Like for example, the track boxes. Um, he he wrote the words in a box. Like they're literally they make the shape of a box, which is really pretty right, cool. my gosh. So he's super creative and there's a mix for him of, let's say curated and edited work on the album and then completely freestyle. Um, the, the track you were t- uh, tuned in, you are now tuned in to the pavement. You are now tuned in. That was completely live and improvised. And we're, right. the band is, you know, if you listen to it, it sounds like a composition. No, the band's just, we're, we're in the studio. We're all looking at each other. And we're all just kind of like, okay, this is happening. <laughs> really happy we're recording. Um, then uh, other instrumentalists work differently. Like on this album, I think Tyreek did more planning. Uh, Tyreek was at one of the sessions and um, he plays electric bass and guitar. And so some of the stuff for the sessions he wasn't at, he... Um, he listened and prepared something, you know, played, but still improvising, but had a sense of what he was going to improvise. And mm-hmm. then other things like Eric Person, who's quite an accomplished uh, improviser and musician. Uh, for those uh, of your listeners who might not be familiar with Eric, he's been associated with McCoy Tyner, Ronald Shannon Jackson, Dave Holland, right. uh, World Saxophone Quartet, Houston Person, among many others. And he's a phenomenal, phenomenal musician. Um, but he was able to just say, you know, hit play, listen to playback, and all of his lines and solos were completely freestyled and improvised. And then Mike and Eric together, the December session, they were together. Anytime you hear the two of them really in sync, that was live. And remarkably, it was the first time that they had ever played together. Incredible. Oh yeah. Gosh. So like, for example, at the end of the title track, something comes along, there's, there's just the two of them and some electronics. And it sounds like, it's just really something the way they try. That was that was actually the very first session. The very first beginning music was was what became the title track. And that's my my far and away favorite from from the album as well. I love the the opener of it. It's so like abrasive. Uh, it's almost found itself straight away, which is really interesting. I think for improv, I always imagine improv starting slow and the people kind of sussing each other out. But for that one, boom! It it nails it straight away. It's a fantastic song. Yeah, there's probably about two, I would say a minute or two before what is the beginning of the, the track. And, um, uh, but, but it, the, the, that minute or two is what you hear, that, that, especially that acoustic mm. bass, Tony Berman and I uh, locked in on that, that kind of feeling, almost like a kind of accelerated rock samba. <laughs> and um, we just were locked in, and then, and then the rest of them just started, uh, the horn started blowing over it, and... Um, and Tyreek added his guitars later. And some of those guitars, he, he planned out parts, and then others he just completely freestyled. So it's, it's a mix, I, th- I would say, for every person and then the combinations of people. Um, we try to keep as much uh, of that original ethos intact as possible. Could this, um, kind of the way that this album has had to come together, could this guy set you guys on the path to maybe uh maybe for album four or five sort of saying why don't we try and write an album and kind of bench the concept of improvisational music just sort of put that aside for one album 
and try and, and, and sort of plan it, write it, know what we're doing and, and go at it from that perspective. Do you think that's something that Bright Dog Red or yourself would ever kind of an approach you'd like to take for an album at some point? Well, I would never say uh, never to any creative possibility because um, they sort of, uh, you know, come to us and they, they, the possibilities will dictate to us what we should do. Um, and I will say this, that I think the improvisational approach of the band, uh, because when we, we play live, that's how we play always. Mm. And I don't see that changing. So I, I think on album, it's going to always be the genesis of the material. Uh, but what I would like to do is I would like to do an album and have talked to some uh, producers. Uh, I've produced the first three albums, but there's some really great producers that uh, I would love to work with. And a couple I've had some conversations with about, you know, the band tracking the way it does with the live improv uh, approach and then just sending the stems of what we tracked to mm -hmm. a producer uh, and it could even be a producer that's, you know, uh, coming out of the DJ tradition um, and almost like an, an album long remix where they take yeah. the improv and then they create it. And they, they would essentially become, you know, a, a, a fifth, sixth or seventh member of the band, depending on how many are on the next album. Yeah, you you mentioned this, I think, last time we spoke as well. It's a really fascinating uh, approach. And I, I remember always sort of thinking that your your rope-a-dope uh, label mate, Mark the Clive Lowe, is, is one of those names that is just, he, he like yourself, he kind of walks that line of, 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 of quintessential and classic jazz, but he likes to plunge himself deep within uh, all kinds of other electronics and sort of atmospheric, uh, uh just musical bliss really sort of uh on on a boundaryless approach to music and he was always someone I, I think when you initially pitched that i thought well that's that's a perfect name i would have thought you know it's actually not a name i thought of but i agree with you it would be perfect and it would be a it would be a, a complete uh thrill for us to work with a producer of his caliber and creativity uh, mm. he's, he's quite remarkable um yeah and 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 it just shows you like you know the 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 folks that that we have had conversations with and a couple others on shortlist they all represent a different uh tradition within electronic music or music production so they would each you know each of them would produce something very very different and that's for us what's exciting i mean one of the things that we say before we perform um is you know we'll say to an audience if, if you're wondering what we sound like so are so are we and we, yeah. <laughs> we look forward to discovering together because that's really, um, you know, that's what this, whatever technique we're using, even if we, we if the ideas that I give the band are, are more fixed uh, or if they're more fluid, the, the goal is for us to, to get those moments where we're surprised by what's happening. Like I mentioned that track tuned in on the second album. Yeah. Um, yeah. That was, that was just a moment where everybody was enthralled with, with Nat's poetry and everything just kind of came together. That was, um, yeah, I can imagine the moment of sort of, of being in that moment where you're sort of looking around each other thinking, Oh, this is, <laughs> this is as good as it's going to get, you know, it must be an exceptional thing to be a part of. Um, you kind of alluded to it already. We mentioned the, the sort of the electronics aspect of, uh, BDR's music. Um, I remember it, I think the sort of the, probably the tagline for means to the end were, sort of tinges you know <laughs> slight dalliances within the realms of electronica uh and then house by you came along and it's like you really went head first into 
this all you know it's a completely different project from means to the end and then we have something comes along which almost takes this kind of concept another step further um I mean, are these very specific approaches that you have when you're approaching, say, uh, House by You and something comes along where you're saying where you think this is naturally we're just sort of heading in, in this direction? So I don't think we think about it quite as um, directly as that. So but your observations are absolutely uh, spot on. So with means to the ends, the electronics were primarily coming from Cody Davies. There were some effects from the two guitarists, uh, Zach Westbrook and uh, Mike Chemline. Mike Chemline was a little bit more effects focused, but um, it wasn't, it, you know, the, the band uh, was in its nascent stages. Those, those sessions were done in, I believe, 2016, album came out in 2018. Um, the band just started publicly in 2015. So what you're hearing is from one, two, and three is the progression of the group. Uh, and progress is not always uh, better. Sometimes progress is just different. And so for us, the progress was between Means to the Ends coming out and How's By You coming out, uh, a quintet version of the group with Mike LaBombard on saxophone, Cully uh, as the MC, Cody Davies and Tony Berman, who are founding members on electronics and acoustic bass, respectively, and, and myself on drums, that quintet was doing a lot of gigs, a lot. We were playing, uh, you know, throughout New York State, New York City regularly, uh, but also played at Berklee College of Music, and, and we had um, uh, a, quite a few um, gigs together uh, in playing in Philadelphia at a place there. And so that group became really tight, and it developed a kind of thing that was unique to that group. So House by You represents that. And one aspect of that was in addition to Cody, who was taking on more and more of a role with the electronics, um, and uh, somebody referred to him, perhaps it was you, as electronic wizardry. Uh, and <laughs> it sounds like me. <laughs> he really is a remarkably creative musician, and that's one of the great assets of having him uh, on those three albums. Uh, but also Mike LaBombard uses a lot of effects on his tenor saxophone. And so you hear the two of them and the interplay and it's always it's not always clear to the listener which is Cody and which is Mike, um, mm-hmm. and so that was a really cool aspect of that band live and and then really captured on House by You. Uh, also, that band could play off of each other, in a, you know, really well. We became so intuitive uh, about each other's musical proclivities that, um, you know, it was almost easy to make House by You. It was it was an extension of what we did live. Um, the band changed. Cully uh, moved and um, joined AmeriCorps, uh, which is a U.S.-based service organization. Uh, he's an amazing, amazing person and got involved with helping after natural disasters like uh, recent hurricanes in the Caribbean. And, amazing. Uh, yeah, he's an amazing person. And we're still very much in touch. Uh, um, the nice thing about Bright Dog Red is it's a collective. And so when, when people want to move on with their lives, there there's in no cases has there ever been any hard feelings. We're not a, a band that breaks up. Uh, so that it's awesome, especially because as you might recall, some of them are former students of mine. So Cully, yes. when Cully announced that he, he was going to join AmeriCorps, I said, all right, well, you'll always be affiliated with the collective. And then I had to think about who would be a suitable um, person to play that role in the group. And Matt is a former student of mine. Uh, he had been in my ensembles at UMass excuse me, at SUNY Oneonta. 
Um, I'm thinking my, my alma mater here. So um, Matt, as I mentioned earlier, when he was a college student, was a, uh, a nationally ranked slam poet and um, an excellent rapper, super creative lyricist. Uh, and so I reached out to him and he, I didn't know at the time, but he was finishing up his uh, MFA in creative writing and had published quite a few of his poems. And, um, and I said, you know, do you still, would you still want to do something like this? So uh, he agreed and the band played at New Blue in New York on the Lower East Side. And the configuration that was that night is very similar to what's on this album. It was Tyreek Jackson on electric bass. It was Eric Person on alto and soprano saxophone. It was Matt on uh, rhymes and freestyling and poetry. And it was Cody Davies on electronics. And uh, I was on drums. And that quintet was, um, it was one of the best live sets we've ever had. So I knew there was something there. Tony Berman, such an important part of the group and acoustic bass. There's no reason why we couldn't have an acoustic bass player an electric bass player, but to add to the, the, the great things that Tyreek brings to the group, he's also a phenomenal guitarist. So that's how that happened. And then, um, uh, you know, of course, Mike Labombard having a tenor with an alto player is perfect. Uh, and so I was like, all right, well, the next album, it'll be a septet and those will be the players. And that's what you hear. Uh, and it's been really exciting to see that come together, to see how we're using electric bass, acoustic bass, where there's guitar and acoustic bass, where there's guitar and electric bass. We're kind of uh, mixing and, and matching that uh, so that the album has cohesiveness, but also represents all the different types of um, music that are important to me as the leader of the band. A lot of what you're hearing is music that I grew up loving. And I think the one thing that maybe this album has more of is the psychedelic and also rock stuff. Um, you know, Tyreek is, he's a shredder on guitar. So there's some, some really amazing, you know, pieces from him. And, uh, you know, it's got maybe a little bit more of that element as well. I was going to ask, yeah, how would you sort of describe that? Not so much, obviously, the process which, which we have discussed about putting together each album, but musically, just someone that would press play on House By You and then come back to something comes along. I mean, how would you describe the, that kind of, that musical kind of difference, that journey from one project to the other? I mean, it's, they, as you said, there's, there are more elements introduced now from varying band members. I think this is the most diverse musical album we've made. Um, obviously, there are more tracks, so that helps. But I, I, like, for example, the next single that's going to come out uh, Friday of this week, it'll be out probably by the time this airs, uh, is called Trouble Come My Way. And, you know, it starts, <laughs> it starts with a kind of 70s Afro-pop feel uh, mm -hmm. or Afro-beat kind of feel. And then it's suddenly kind of a classic rock feel. And then it's like a little bit red hot chili peppers. And then it's this kind of fierce rhyme and rap thing. And then it ends. <laughs> and that's like the album. It's like move, we, we're, we're moving through all those things, uh, but not, not as we're not moving through them for any other reason. than that, that's what came up while we we're improvising. That's what each of us was driving in the other. Uh, we certainly weren't thinking, Oh, we should sound like this or sound like that. It's just, for us in retrospect, we listened to it and like, wow, where'd that idea? Oh, that's so cool. How do we, do oh, you, oh, did you start that? You know, and, and so, and you know, that's the kind of the magic of the production process is that, you know, there might, you might, 
if you heard the raw t recordings, you might hear uh, you might hear Tyreek playing a bass line and people are talking over it. And then suddenly I'm like, oh, that, that's pretty cool, Tyreek. And then I lay down a groove and now the two of us are locked in and suddenly the horns come in and bam, there it is. And so you might hear from the point of bam, there it is. We edit out that kind of first step. Uh, there's a couple tracks on all three albums where we have those first steps, you know, sort of in there. Um, and we, you know, we find a good edit point where the, the introductory line makes sense. Um, but I think it's, yeah, I think it's, this album is probably more varied than Housed by You and even more varied than Means to the Ends. Something I've never sort of discussed with you is a uh, kind of um, imagery for, for, for the album, for the for each of the albums. Obviously, we have the the bright red dog uh, for Means to the End. We have the the children for Housed by You. And now we have the uh, this, this train for Something Comes Along. I mean, what, is there... I mean, where where did where did these sort of uh, artistic concepts come from? Is it from yourself or is it from uh, uh, someone else? Or they come from me. Um, and the um, the ideas are realized by a brilliant artist named Dave Derwin. So he he deserves the credit for the <laughs> the beautiful visuals. Um, and he'll also uh, he you know he's he's a great designer to work with because he. I'll send him a mock-up of what I want based on color and sort of an idea. And um, he'll send, uh, you know, and I'll, I'll, he'll send back something that improves upon it. Um, now the first album, uh, I gave him the idea that I wanted the dog uh, that was sort of our, it was going to be our last album where the dog was the focus. <laughs> um, and, uh, but I wanted the dog on the cover. I wanted the colors that he has there and i wanted something of a, a legacy from the original logo that he created for us which was completely right. that was completely his creation so i said you know i would like all that and i'd like it to kind of have sort of the look of a, of, a, of a classic album from the 60s or 70s you know and the classic jazz albums those kinds of covers so he came up with that first design and that became then the template and so by House by You, it was more specific. I'm, I, I said, I would like these colors. And, um, you know, I would like an image of children playing. I sort of described it to him. But then there were little things in the image that were completely his, like the, the kicking the grenade. Um, that was pretty cool. And uh, the sort of background of the, the in the background, there's sort of, I don't remember if it's ominous clouds or smoke in the background behind the the children but the idea of sort of trouble behind and trouble ahead uh we kind of wanted uh in that okay. image. and and that's because these albums are uh of course fully improvised but the band spends a lot of time together and there's usually something we're thinking about there's a kind of implicit social commentary on all th three albums and um the covers reflect that commentary there's a you know this is an album that's a rumination on coping on uh, dealing with something that comes along uh, you know the, the bio quotes uh, something that i was saying when being asked where did that title come from that you know th things come along in life and and you don't have a choice about them they just come and it's a very appropriate rumination for covid but uh it, mm. it had nothing to do with covid the, the idea <laughs> for something comes along was you know, put to bed somewhere in, in January or even December of 2019. And the, and the quote that I gave for, for the label was probably around that time too. But it's just this idea that, you know, life, 
we don't choose life. It chooses us and we don't choose the consequences of our life. I mean, of course we have some agency and free will and, um, and we should use that responsibly and for good. Uh, but you know, things like disease is a great, you know, example. Um, we, we don't choose those things, but they often come along and we have to figure out how best to navigate through them. So this is about navigating through that's the, the concept here. And so that's where the, you know, the locomotive comes from. It's yeah, it's, it is, a, I, I have always been taken. I, they've certainly, uh, made me question like, you know, the, the kids was like, Oh, that's, that, that's an interesting idea. And the, the train obviously, uh, and it, it's, Oh, it's great to have you sort of explain it. And yeah, there is, you know, I think you've, you've carried the, uh, the, the, the designer that you mentioned, you know, they've, and yourself, you've done a great job in carrying this sort of design aesthetic across, you know, even just the lines that go across, you've got the bright dog red font as well. Um, they're, yeah, they're, they're sort of helping to amass a wonderful catalog of, uh of of music as well which must be exciting when you see a new one added to, to the shelf it's so it's so gratifying that there's now a body of work you know there's three albums and four sides of music it's uh, represents a diversity of this concept of fusing free improvisation with jazz you know illusions and psychedelic rock illusions and electronica and um you know hip-hop uh those are all again musics that are very important to me that i grew up with that i love dearly uh, but they're also important to each of the band members in different ways and different, some like this more, some like that more, but we all love coming together and seeing what happens when we're, you know, listening and responding to one another. Are there kind of goals that you set for Bright Dog Red and, and, and for yourselves, or is it a case of we're, we're together, we're making music and we have a platform through Rope Dope and that's everything we could possibly want? Or do, do you have goals, things that you'd, you'd certainly like to, to achieve and tour, or, you know, uh, further perhaps than you have? Or, you know, are there goals in that perspective that you kind of sort of like to tick off a list or anything? There are, there are goals and um, the you know, first goal for the band was to find a, a label partner and Ropa Dope was one of the very first labels we thought about. And so the fact that we ended up there, the fact that we've now done three albums with them is a, a tremendous, uh, yeah. tremendous thing for us. And so um, it also underscores the importance of having some goals. I, I think the right now, the goals are to make a fourth album, of course, that's an obvious one. Um, but some of the goals are a little bit up in the air because of what's happened with COVID. So, uh, for example, um, you, uh, along with some other uh, great supporters, uh, are part of a cadre of folks in the UK that support us in press and radio. And uh, we get quite a few uh, streams and spins and downloads in the UK. And we've, we had some very good leads on, on potentially... Um, you know, coming over and performing. Oh, and so COVID has kind of put that on hold. And so my goal is as soon as it's reasonable is to sort of rekindle those fires a little bit. Um, I mentioned earlier that COVID has impacted album four. The initial goal for album four was to do a live album to say, okay, well, <laughs> can we capture this live? We will do post-production, we'll do editing, but we'll be doing that mainly to say, hey, this is, if you're in the audience, this is what it sounds like. Um, and uh, we had an opportunity to maybe do that on the West Coast of the United States uh, in early um, 2021. Uh, but obviously that's, that's not going to happen now. So uh, yeah, if we could get out to the, the Midwest of the U.S., to the West Coast of the U.S., uh, if we could get to 
the UK, those would be two great next goals. Amazing. It's, it's everything kind of about your approach and Bright Dog Red that I've, I've often found just incredibly inspiring. I think the fact that you're always just bursting with ideas of just we want to do this now we want to do this you know the the, the concept of having uh, a, a producer kind of remix your album the fact you're now talking about doing a live album that the fact that something comes along is two discs worth of of music which is uh it's 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 a very inspirational uh kind of approach to music that you guys exude and i know for myself i mean it's certainly something i respond to and i think a lot of people really do kind of respect and appreciate that from people you can tell that that you enjoy music and i think that that's an infectious quality for people that you know let listen to you so uh it's it is inspiring so uh so thanks very much i mean that sincerely congratulations to you all it's very very cool thank you and i'm I'm so pleased to hear you say those words it means a lot uh we we've we've been so grateful for your support and enthusiasm and uh you know sometimes people in the media get it uh sometimes they they don't and you know that's fair too. Uh, um, a little anecdote: we we got a we got a not so great review on the first album in uh, a media outlet, and the uh, person who wrote it sent me an apology, which I was taken by because, uh, as I explained to this person, I, I said, "Hey, the, the the compact is this: I share what I'm enthusiastic with, uh, you know, or enthusiastic about with you, and you can not write about it." write about it, like it, not like it, or be ambivalent. And I need to be okay with whatever that, like you, we, we're enthusiastic, but we, all, we also understand that like anything uh, that, that is about creative expression, it's subjective. And so for some, uh, and we, uh, we appreciate you, as I said, but some, some others, uh, there's great enthusiasm. And then um, fortunately, we, we generally get really good response from press. Uh, but for this particular person, you know, they made what I actually thought was a very fair point, and it's one of the reasons why doing a live album is something that that kind of we we know it's a good idea. We we had this idea before I had discussions with this person, uh, but once I I told this person how I felt that hey, it's that's fair. You you have every right to respond. Um, uh, the journalist was relieved and then we had a great conversation and I said, you know, one of the things we're, we're thinking about is a live album and, and just your feedback that, uh, because the main issue this person had was that I really like this and I think it's really good, but I so want to see it live. And it's like, yeah, how do we, you know, what's the best way to capture that? So mm. yeah, live album is something we're thinking about some more. Um, and this has been hard for us. We don't have a lot of good live, uh, video, uh, of the group. Um, so we'd love to get that under uh, underway as well. But yeah, COVID has to <laughs> be yeah. under control before we can think about those things. Yeah, I totally understand. I certainly look forward to uh, everything that's that's sort of on the horizon. I'm sure it, it may take time, but I'm sure it will uh, be realized in, in time to come. So uh, with great excitement, uh, me and uh, many others uh, eagerly look forward to it um uh as we talked about i've taken up so much of your time already on on your some semi half semi holiday um uh we mentioned about uh each episode as you did as you've done before uh having a closing song to uh to send listeners home happy uh may i ask did you have time to, to pick something out no i i have several uh things on on a short list and so <laughs> um but i'm gonna say uh that today I'd like to pick um, something from 
the great Gary Peacock, who's passed away and was a, right. a great inspiration. Uh, some years ago, I worked for ECM and had the good opportunity to uh, meet and speak with uh, Gary uh, many times, observe him recording in the studio, observe him playing live and Amazing. Um, kept in touch with him on again, off again over the years. And, and he, he gave me advice that um, I, I think I even reference in the something comes along bio uh, just coincidentally, but um, you know, he was really uh, strongly opposed to thinking too much when you're improvising and to to, to kind of listening and, and letting letting what's happening musically, but also empathetically and sympathetically with the other players, uh, let, let that sort of dictate the ideas rather than have the ideas force upon the ensemble what, what they play. Um, and that was a great advice that he gave me. Um, it was a, upon listening to a recording that I had done um, where he sort of asked to, he asked to hear it, he listened to it, and gave me all kinds of feedback on my playing. And he was really emphasizing this idea of, uh, you know, not letting your own ideas get in the way of what could could happen that you didn't anticipate, because your ideas are fixed, and and improvisation is not; it's dynamic. So um, it's got to be something from Gary Peacock. So I, I will send you a song from Gary Peacock that I think is a beautiful homage to uh, one of the great improvisers of our time. <laughs> Thank <laughs> you. 